0: narrative lectionary season this whole year we're making our way through the whole bible we started at the physical beginning in genesis and now we have moved into exodus which is the second book that we were given uh, in the old stories and this is from exodus 3 some of you are going to know this one so if you want to follow along it's exodus 3 verses 1 through 15 Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, also known as Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. And he looked, and the bush was blazing but was not consumed. And then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why this bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see this sight, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then God said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And God said, Further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid. And then god said i have observed the misery of my people who are in egypt i have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters indeed i know their sufferings and i have come down to deliver them from the egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the canaanites and the hittites the amorites the perizzites the hivites and the jebusites And the cry of the Israelites has now come to me, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this holy mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is the name? What shall I say to them then? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and this is my title for all generations. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, we give you thanks for these holy and ancient stories, for the many lessons that they can teach us. We do not understand how a bush can be burning and not consumed. And so we ask you to bless us and set our hearts on fire so that we can understand this scripture and understand you and then become what you wish us to be in this world. Amen. So, like I said, this week, um, our narrative lectionary visits the book of Exodus. I love this book in our scriptures, this beautiful heart text of our Jewish ancestors and family in the heritage of Abraham. It's a book of liberation and joy, of purpose that has carried the Jewish people through millennia in the midst of genocidal destruction, of remembrance and reminder that has held them fast throughout all of their history, which has included so much migration and movement. This book they call the Shema. And it carries and shares today only one story of many. This is a long book with many instances in it that we could preach on as an example from Exodus. But the story that was chosen by this narrative lectionary season and text is that of the bush that burned with God's fierce and gentle spirit but was not consumed. It's just one of all the stories. It's a good one. What a story. I mean, no matter what our experience with Christianity, most of us could probably name the major beats of the story that I just read, right? You could probably outline it a little bit. It's so well known, even to people like me that didn't grow up in the church, I still knew at least pieces of this story, even as a child. There's a man, his name is Moses, and he finds a talking shrub in the desert. Those are the two big ones, right? Right? <laughs> God's voice moves out of it and tells him he's on holy ground and makes him the leader and the liberator of the Hebrew people who are captured in Egypt. Now, the danger of stories like this is that it's hard to say new things about it, right? I mean, not that it's the preacher's job to always say a new thing, but it feels urgent to me to read it for us today and now in the context of the whole story of Scripture. And often, my practice is to go back and see what I've preached on this on a story in the past and I realized that in a decade of serving churches I have never preached on the burning bush story ever how did, I, how did I escape and avoid it and so you're going to get the first stab at it this morning we need to read it with fresh eyes and hearts to notice what's newly arriving in our lives because of its eternal importance I believe stories like this carry eternal importance and it changes with our times So what does this story hold for us now and today and here for always, but also for this moment? I want to talk to you a little bit about Moses. He's such a curious man. Before we kind of visit his encounter with this voice of the creator of the universe who chooses to embody itself in the heart of a thorn bush in the desert... As uh, Aviva Zornberg puts in her biography of Moses, she says, no figure looms larger in Jewish culture than Moses, and few have stories that are more enigmatic or compelling. And I think she's probably right. He still speaks 3,300 years later. So what does he say, and what is his message? Well, Moses, when we meet him in this chapter of Exodus, he's doing his best to lose the Egyptian accent that has Uh, the people have been remarking on in previous chapters of Exodus. If you read Exodus 2, 18-19, you see that people are like, who is this man with this accent when he first landed in Midian? And it was an accent worth losing, frankly, because first, it was a lie. He wasn't Egyptian. He'd been born a Hebrew child, but he was raised like a dirty secret in the heart of the Egyptian court. Secondly, it provided a clue to his past misdeeds. I mean, the child, if you remember the story, became a man back in Egypt, and his identity crisis sharpened and caused him to snap at one point. And he killed an Egyptian overseer who was beating a Hebrew slave and became a fugitive from Egyptian justice. But Moses dodged that murder charge. He escaped further witnessing the oppression of his native people by his adopted royal household. Can you imagine the identity crisis? He walked the width of the desert, and he crossed the border into the land of Midian and married a woman there who was the daughter of a prominent local family, and he kind of began to work on building his pension. And I wonder, did he have nightmares? Did the ghosts of Egypt haunt him? There's no evidence of this. We don't have those stories. This Sunday's reading shows Moses following the flocks as he would have done every year, seasonally, a perfectly ordinary Midian shepherd, On a perfectly regular day, with only the barest trace of an Egyptian accent, everything on track. Like so many of us, he appears to have hidden his past really well. He also seems to have escaped most of the trauma of four centuries of exile experienced by the Hebrew people, of which he was a part. That ruthless oppression and economic exploitation. He just seems to have sidestepped all of that, and he's living a perfectly ordinary existence.
1: And in the midst of
0: this perfect ordinariness, he meets the God of the Hebrews, the God of his ancestors. And this God will not let him turn aside from the path that he was apparently, according to the story, always going to walk. No matter how many pathways he took to the side, he was always going to be led back to this mountain and to this moment. Midian is comfortable and safe and hospitable and normal and easy But apparently the heart of Egypt is where his God-given vocation was always going to drive him. Right to the feet of Pharaoh, directly to his purpose, to liberate the people, to liberate his people. And this mysterious God seems to call him onto holy ground and then discloses what he is supposed to do, what he is made to do, lead sheep no longer, lead people. Just as you are with all that you've been, no excuses, I know you already, And he says, who am I to do that? But as the theologian Martin Buber wrote, it is laid upon the stammering to bring the voice of heaven to earth. It is laid upon the stammering. So he doesn't know how he'll do this or even why it's his to do, but he was the one who said, I I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. He made a choice to notice. And here he is, uncertain, stammering in the face of the greatest mystery of the deep and wide world, and that mystery is calling his name and giving him a job to do. It turns out when God calls your name, you almost always end up with a gig. So be careful what you listen for and what you notice. It's inescapable. He cannot and will not turn aside. Now, we don't get Moses' internal monologue in this story or his reflections on it later. And I often am angry at scripture for what it leaves out. I have some things I wish Jesus had said, and I have some things that I wish people had thought about out loud afterwards. And we just don't get that all the time. We hear what he chose to say out loud to God in the moment, which is quite a lot, actually. But I wonder what he would say to us now, where we are, about this experience, to the church to you. I, I did spend time this week sort of walking around with Moses like on my shoulder commenting on things as I was mulling over the story over and over again and so I thought I would share what I thought he might say to us. Turns out with 3,300 years under his belt he sounds really meditative. <laughs> so that's what you're going to get this morning. It's very Zen <laughs> Moses yes with all that life experience behind him. But it's filtered through God's spirit, hopefully, and hopefully also your life and my heart. Here's what I thought he might say to us. Nothing is for certain. It's all a mystery. Even the words I'm saying now are ideas and hopeful perspectives, comforting ideals that help us walk more sure-footed in this great, mysterious journey. There's something, however, I feel is not just a soothing thought, but a truth. Just as it feels good and right to lift our faces to the sun in the midst of the rainy season, it feels good and right to pause and listen to what our hearts are telling us to do now. When we live this way, when we turn aside to see what is there for us off the beaten path, I believe we find the real guideposts. I have seen them. To this I can personally attest. I also know that love and attention flow to what we focus on. We shift and soften as we pause and look around, inhale and exhale. We try to find certainty and direction and safety where there is none. How can we quiet our incessant seeking and fleeing How can we quiet our internal thoughts when we are living in such an uncontrollable, inexplicable reality? My answer? Notice the sacred. Nothing is unknown to me if I live and die never to hold anything for certain, to just let it be. I choose to stop and turn aside to notice the sacred. To notice the sacred means to hold your life as an exquisite masterpiece waiting to be revealed by the one who created it. Each moment blessed with capability to bring your daily doings into the divine space and to see the divine space in your daily being. The place of sacred hands, the use of attention, sacraments and stories. These signposts that we've been given have the power to summon powers and enter into the mighty winds of change. In the desert, while going about our work, in the strangest and most ordinary places, these signposts, these moments, this noticing can help us move from restriction, escape, into expansive greatness and approach. Notice the sacred, where it shows with loving reverence, for it arriving, for it coming and going every day that it does. those I think of the eyes of our hearts that open to notice the sacred. And if you are present to them as well, you can say thank you for the gift that they offer. To realize for a moment or two, a day, that your life would not be the same if your heart were not open with those eyes that you are blessed to see when, when you notice. It is sacred. To notice your body that holds you upright, if it can, that carries you from one ordinary day to the next in the midst of whatever you're shepherding in whatever wilderness, that helps you to notice the sacred. To remove your shoes when you notice because it is holy, the sacred, the divine. You are blessed to be held so unconditionally in its arms. So, notice the sacred. Those times when it feels impossible to love. When no joy can seem to be found. When you cannot muster one certain care in your world. In that, too, notice the sacred. Honor the desolation you feel trapped in, whatever that might be. To let it speak. Say out loud, I don't feel capable here. Say you feel lost and alone. Say you feel purposeless and invisible. Stammer the words and then let them go. Give them up to something, someone outside of yourself. Notice your sacredness just as long as you release it all and then you'll notice that there is something sacred underneath and beyond. To the love that you are either receiving or not receiving, the love you are open to or perhaps painfully closed off from, to take a moment and try to soften yourself to it, to stop resisting and closing, to ask that your walls be dropped, that your heart be uncovered, to hear what the sacred is saying to you when you simply. To notice the sacred so that it can speak to you, as it has spoken to me and to millions throughout the millennia. If, if you're closed off in this loop of deprecating thoughts like Moses or able to move forward to that place, go to that patch of earth. If no earth is beneath your feet, then hold a stone. If no stone is near you, close your eyes and just see the burning bush, whatever it is for you, the speaking creation, the messenger of God, and ask that earth, that stone, that voice to help you weather the storm, to ask for help to enter the holy flow of life, the flow that leads to our deepest needs and the most holy of holies, the center of all that is and was, and shall be the maker and sustainer of us all, where you will meet the I am that I am. Notice the sacred. Perhaps you're feeling aimless or naked of purpose, desiring of service, conflicted inside as to how or what. Name your desire, pray, ask the big why, and then wander into the wild and holy ground of your heart where God has made you to notice the sacred answer. Call the circle you need to access the wisdom of what is larger than you, that is older than us all, eternal and creative beyond what you can imagine. And notice the sacred. Has something been given to you? Has something cracked open within you? Has joy brought you tears of relief and awakening, of Direction and challenge of identity and calling. Perhaps you have experienced that, in fact, the gift has arrived. Those gifts are things we know as graces, especially graces. Notice how they are sacred, even and perhaps especially when first they seem confusing or strange. Or, yes, and I imagine the bush felt this way to Moses even scary. Take a moment to say thank you for what you've been given, what has arrived in front of you on that earth, in that wilderness, at that time, and in that place, no matter the surprising or terrible shape shape that it has taken, what is that thing for you that you're trying to understand? Take a moment and say thank you. To really receive what you are receiving. The message behind and through and in the midst of it. I trust that grace will grow when you notice. Miracles will come like a bush flaming in the desert. If you put your focus on the sacred experience of life, lift all that you experience into a higher holy place of full presence, it will lift you there as well. Just as it does in this story. It is indisputable. It's a promise. Make all of your life sacred by bringing it into the divine space and offering it up. By noticing how it is already sacred. This is not about fixing. God did not tell Moses, don't worry, you're no longer a murderer. Those things have been erased. They didn't happen. God said, yeah, even you, and especially you by noticing how all of that is already sacred and how all of these things have been touched and consecrated and transformed by God already, that they have all in themselves already a holy purpose, and their meaning is to live into that purpose fully. So you make your journey sacred, the whole story, not just now, not just next, but now and then, to eliminate your Illuminate your daily doings with that flaming bush that is not consumed and to decide that each offering life hands you holds the opportunity, every single one, to create beauty and justice and compassion and healing and reconciliation and that it is all learning. To notice the sacred gift of each moment whenever you experience it and that this mystery unfolds in this way. Because nothing is for certain. We do have to trust. But I also trust that something has been given to you. I have so many experiences of having conversations with people who come into this place or who are out in the world and they say, I don't really know what the point is. I don't really know what my point is. And what I often feel with them is that they have not yet seen what they have already been given. They have not yet noticed what is sacred in their lives and in their stories. Something has been given to all of us, and it is a sacred purpose. We each have one. If you believe in anything, let it be joy in that purpose. In your heart, led by the holy from your defined past to your unimaginable future. And this is the power of God throughout Scripture is to take what seems certain and to do something surprising out of it. Once you have met that freedom to be dislodged from expectation, from what you are certain has to be the outcome of you or this moment or this experience or this past you have, once you've met that freedom, you can say thank you to God for giving you this tremendous gift. To say thank you for all that lives already within you, as Moses learns to. He doesn't do that in this story, and I think that too is a lesson. Because God continues to help him find his way and his meaning. He helps him understand what it means to have been called. But he still honors the mystery and says thank you for the challenge, even as he's fighting it even as he's resisting it. So I invite you to choose to see your life as sacred and your hands as sacred, this moment as sacred, to allow it to lift you beyond your restrictive beliefs about what is possible in God. Your limited thinking of what you are capable of, of what God is capable of seeing and doing through you. I wonder, and this is a rhetorical question, How can we doubt the clear sight of the creator of the greatest and widest universe beyond our own? How dare we do that? How dare we do that? How can we even imagine that we see what God sees in us and in other people especially? Allow your heart to notice the sacred, for God sees it all as sacred. Nothing is for certain, but I know it feels right and good to follow God's calling, to follow God's heart so that it becomes my heart. To lift my face to the bush that burns but is not consumed, that by making my daily doings sacred, I'm focusing my life on what really matters and allowing my life to be formed and molded into the shape of Christ. It feels right and good to surrender that which I cannot control or predict. To pray for help in rising above my fears, reasonable as they may be, justifiable as they may be. Because grace is not reasonable, and gifts are not justifiable. Miracles are not predictable or controllable, and if we wish to meet them, we have to let go of all of that. Noticing the sacred allows me to let God be God and to let God be good and to answer the call with integrity. Palms up, feet grounded, hope alive, and fears stayed for a moment. It feels right and good to find magic in the mundane. I have been so convinced this month of the magic that is within all of us because of God's Spirit, of what is possible be only because of God's Spirit, because of noticing in one another the sacred. Even if I never know for certain, at least my world will be blazing with sacred wonder wherever I turn. If I notice that, at least I'll believe that I'm being held and supported, waited on even by the force of the holy. Can you imagine feeling like that all the time? At least I'll be allowing my life to be molded in God's sacred hands. For God has said to Moses and to each of you, to all of us, we're all kind of little Moseses. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God of the living, and I will be with you. Can you imagine standing on that ground as Moses and hearing the creator of all of the world say to you, don't be afraid. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living, and I will be with you. Can you imagine? Can you remember? have you noticed that god is doing that now if you would turn aside and notice the sacred wherever you are today tomorrow the rest of this year wherever you go i believe that there might be and probably is some burning bush just waiting for you to turn aside and to notice the sacred that is right in front of you so Beloved, may you follow in the footsteps of Moses, and this is the benediction for this sermon this morning. May you notice the sacred wherever you are. God knows what stories will be told in the future because of what you do. May it be so for you today and always. Amen. I want to invite you with that.